0: seen a lot of nasty bits of hell. (laughs) We haven't seen anything yet. Hi, I'm Mark Scarborough. And this is the podcast, Walking with Dante, a podcast in which we slow walk passage by passage through Dante's masterwork comedy. And we are in the 18th canto. We're nearing the end of it. We're in a shortish passage here. We've been in some really long passages, and I broke this one up a bit to be shorter so that we could kind of have a slower walk as we're supposed to in this podcast. This is lines 100 through 114. We are in the circles of fraud I say circles because there are all these evil pouches in the larger eighth circle. We have passed over the first pouch that held both the pimps and the seducers. And now we are about to cross into the second pouch, all still within the 18th canto. Here it is, this rank passage. We had now come to a spot where the narrow alley intersected with the second embankment which then forms the base of yet another bridge. From that spot, we heard people who were moaning in the next pouch, blubbering with their snouts and thwacking themselves with their flat palms. The walls of this pouch were crusted with moldy crap, rising in vapors from down below, clinging to those walls, and causing a full-on brawl against our eyes and noses the bottom was so impenetrable to our sight until we climbed up to the hump of the arch where the ridge reaches its apex. When we got up there, I could see well down into the sewer that people were sunk in the same kind of muck that could get slopped out of human privies. Nasty, right? Yes, well, it should be. We're in the sins of fraud, the most human sins, the sins not necessarily against God, but against another person, a sin in which you inflect or infect or harm the creation of God naturally, it's gonna get nasty. Let's take this in a couple pieces, and then I want to make a couple of speculative comments, which is why I've kept this segment short. The passage starts out, we'd now come to a spot where the narrow alley intersected with the second embankment, which then forms the base of yet another bridge. And from that spot, they hear the people moaning and snuffling and thwacking and hitting and all that stuff. What I want to say here is that Dante and Virgil, his guide, are ridge runners. They have climbed up to the top of a spiny ridge and they are running along it. <laughs> Back in the day, I used to be an avid hiker and did a lot of peak bagging where, you know, you haul yourself up to the top of one peak and then you run along a ridge line and bag other peaks one in a row. I'm a little old for that kind of activity now, but I used to do it. So these guys are really. Runners on this spiny, vertebra-like structure. I think it's really important that you not see this as bridges and abutments and keystones and perfect arches and all of that quite yet. There will come a point when you do need to see these things as that. But right now, keep in mind rocky, reef-like vertebrae. It's really interesting to hold in your head that this is less of a formal Roman architecture structure. We might get there from here, but right now it's it's raw. It's extraordinarily horrific. Just imagine vertebra and ribs all connecting like a spider web. I know that's a super mixed metaphor. It's all very gross, and it's all very precarious. Let's stop just a sec. It's not exactly as easy as walking that path that we walked, let's say, mm, across the past the heretics, across the tombs, the fields of the tombs, as we walked down the little embankment of the stream in the burning sands. I mean, not that that was so easy, but you know what I mean. It had less of a precarious perspective about it. I think we should keep in mind that this is very difficult. You have to pull yourself out over the rocks to look below. You have to stick way out to see who's passing under these ridges. I think that's all very important because it might be true of the narrative Two, The story might also be getting a little precarious. We're going to want to explore that more throughout the 19th and 20th cantos, that there may be a way in which comedy itself, like our pilgrim and like his guide, is becoming precarious. Okay, let's pass on in the passage. They see these people down in the ditch blubbering through their snouts, thwacking themselves, floating palms. The whole place is crusted and gross. The vapors seem to rise up and form some kind of mold on the edges of the pocket. And then we find out, really, that this whole thing is filled out of, as it says, the stuff that could get slopped out of human privies. It is an extraordinarily disgusting place you will notice that the language is coarsening significantly here. The words used, in fact, are coarse. When that bit comes up about blubbering with their snouts or through their snouts, I mean, that's eke kol skufa. is a very vulgar word. Snuffling, blubbering, sniffing. It's uh, making pig-like noises through your nose, snorting skufa. It's very strange language. And later in the passage, when it causes a full-on brawl against our eyes and as zufa, it, in fact, it rhymes with skufa in the Tercerima, but zufa, again, a street word of street fighting. It, you know, it, it attacks us like street fighters, our eyes and our noses. Everything is getting coarser, more vulgar, more common speech, more kind of settled into just everyday tuscan as you would hear it spoken in the very streets of florence why is that happening here well there are several things that we could say we could say that the language is coarsening because the sins are becoming more human after all fraud is a distinctly human sin we are essentially done with the sins against god until we reach the very center of the pit itself Everything from here on out, all the way down, are, how do I say this, sins you commit against other people. And that is a huge change we have to explore more fully. Fraud is not a You can't defraud God. God knows everything. Fraud is not a sin against God. Treachery is not a sin against God. God knows everything. You can't be treacherous toward God, but you sure can be fraudulent and treacherous toward other people. And so as the sins become more human, the language coarsens to reflect that. Also, perhaps it's because we're just moving down. I mean, as we move down in hell, things get grosser and grosser. This could be the truth. It's certainly the way I was taught comedy. I don't actually find that that holds very well because then I would like to see the language get more and more elevated as we rise up Purgatorio and Paradiso. And I don't see that. I don't ever see it get quite to its course again. But still, nonetheless, I would then expect a reversal and an (laughs) opening. How's that for a word? An opening of the language as we move up purgatorio, which I actually don't see. So I'm not sure I buy it's coarsening just because we're moving deeper in hell. Um, Robert Derling has the thesis that it's coarsening because we're moving down the body structure of comedy. Remember, we've talked about this several times that Derling's idea is that Comedy itself is structured on the human body, and we've been at the head. Let's say in limbo, we've come on down the body through the gullet, you know, through your throat with the gluttons, on down toward the liver and the seat of all kind of anger and cholera and all that kind of stuff, and then on down, and we've come until now. Of course, we're in the bowels of the human body, and because we're in the bowels of the body, as as uh, comedy is structured, basically on the torso. So ...maybe with the head attached... ...basically on this torso structure... ...of course it's going to get gross... ...because we're moving down into the bowel portion of comedy. Mm, that's true too. And maybe it's also getting coarser... ...and this is what I tend to think anymore... ...it's getting coarser because Dante is becoming freer. He's allowing himself to fall into the vulgar... ...into the common speech of Florence... ...into his native Florentine more fully. He doesn't feel any more the need for polished words those things that were associated with Virgil and now are associated with Jason the Seducer. He doesn't feel any need to run for those anymore. So perhaps Dante himself is becoming freer. And just as a writer who becomes freer and whose speech becomes looser and let's not say more street-like, although that can happen, just becomes more colloquial. That could be happening here too. And finally, and this is a rather meta and high-level point that I'm not sure I fully buy, but you know how much I love meta points. Maybe comedy itself is undergoing a metamorphosis. Remember, I told you in the last bits of this canto, the last episodes of this podcast for this canto 18, I told you that we are basically watching metamorphoses happen. That is, pimps turn women into money. And that we, inside of this circle of fraud, are going to see a whole series of metamorphoses all the way down. Well, maybe comedy itself is undergoing a metamorphosis. If so, its language is changing changing to reflect the way it itself is changing in its attitude toward the human condition. It's a nice meta point. If Dante is working it out that smart, that is, that comedy itself is undergoing an analogous metamorphosis to the kind of vulgar and gross metamorphoses that exist in the Eighth Circle, then Dante is many, many, many steps ahead of the rest of us. Okay, okay. Let's talk a couple speculative points about this rather short passage. Let's go back to that bit where it says from the spot where heard people who were moaning in the next pouch, blubbering through their snouts, called moose scoof, and thwacking themselves with their open palms, their flat palms. Let's talk about this for a second because I think it's really important for us to stop. What's happening here? These sinners, the damned, are becoming less human. And it's important here for us to stop, and as modern people, say no to Dante. Dante wants these people to become less and less human, for their humanity to be drained out of them as they become increasingly bestial as we head down into the depths of hell. But I want to say, as a modern person, it's just important to pull our heads up out of comedy and say, no, this is not right. There is something here that needs to be reframed. Yes, Dante wants us to believe that these sinners did it to themselves. They lost their own humanity. They did things that caused them to become less and less of a human. That is the rhetoric of the poem. But why is it necessary to dehumanize other humans to make our points? Why is it necessary to dehumanize others in order for us to gain the advantage? Why is it necessary for us to dehumanize our enemies? I realize that that is a modern point, but occasionally, just occasionally, I mean, how often does this happen in the podcast? Never. Just occasionally, it's really important to pull your head up from comedy and look at it and think, wait. That's not cool. It's not a good move to dehumanize people in order to show why they're damned or to show the effects of their damnation. We are all of us caught in the webs of our own making, and we are all of us caught in places in which we are trying to hold onto our humanity, our personhood, ourself. The move to dehumanize people is never a good one from a moral standpoint. That said, it is Dante's move. And that said, if we are to stick in comedy, we have to basically buy the rules of the game and accept that that's what he's doing. But occasionally, it's important just to pull back and say, no, thank you. I don't think I need to do that too, even if that's the game you're up to. Okay, a last speculative point. Why are there two pouches in this one canto? Here we are in canto 18 and we have had one pouch and it had two different types of people in it, it had the pimps and the seducers. And now we've moved into a second Pouch inside of one canto, and I'm gonna just give it away. These are the flatterers, we'll hear about them next time. You're gonna have to think for a minute about how flattery is worse than murder because murder's up above us, remember? And suicide is up above us, and blasphemy is up above us, and flattery is somehow worse. Is it worse? than those or is it just part of a larger rubric of fraud that is worse than those it's a large question but for now let's just concern ourselves with well, why are there two evil pouches in this one canto one explanation is that Dante knows he's going to spend more time in the evil pouches, the Malabolgia, ahead, and he is. Several of these pouches are going to take up more than one canto, which means he's more thoroughly planned out the comedy itself at this point and that he knows he has to condense certain things in order to let him expand certain things later. Maybe he's even started planning out the comedy to a hundred cantos since he knows he's going to run over his 30 or perhaps 33 canto limit if we accept the notion that he was writing an abbreviated version of the comedy first in which the seven deadly sins were basically the rungs of hell and then the seven deadly sense, or the seven cardinal virtues are the rungs of purgatory, and definitely the seven cardinal virtues are the rungs of heaven. So if he was writing that 21 canto structure with a little bit of give inside of it so that he could get up to 30 or 33 numbers that are divisible by three, and thus Trinitarian, and thus Christian, now he's slowed down, and maybe now he knows that he's got many cantos ahead of him. And so because he wants to spend more time ahead— He needs to kind of condense other parts. This is a complete supposition. It's often offered by some of the commentators along the way. It's not a bad supposition, but you should just know there's no textual evidence for this. It's a guess on why things are happening. But there's other ways to think about it. Maybe he wants us to think that these three forms of fraud, pimping, seducing, and, as we will see, flattering, are connected in some way, that they are tied up together in, what, perversions of human love? If so, this is a deeper and more willful perversion than Francesca's way up there in the circle of lust. She was merely—wow, the word merely— matches me post-Victorian, but okay, merely guilty of lust. These down here are guilty of forms of human sexuality and love that are particularly perverted through fraud and through the coinage of money and through various kinds of metamorphoses. Maybe, and maybe that's why they're all connected, pimping, seducing, and flattering here in one canto, that they are a kind of perversion on the arts of love. Or we can actually go to another place, maybe Dante wants us to notice the structure. That is, by putting two pouches in one canto, he is foregrounding structural problems. Maybe he wants to foreground it to make structure almost theatrical, to say, hey, look at the architecture of this thing. Look at how it's built. Because by putting these two groups of sinners together, or these two pouches together, and these three groups of sinners together, Dante's kind of forcing us into the architecture. And in the next episode, you will see that there is a similar structure to the flatterers that there was to the first pouch, the first of the Malibolgia. as we come down. There may be a way that Dante is foregrounding structure so that we look at the architecture of the poem. But to get to that point, We're going to have to wait till next time because we had a short passage this time so that we could spend a lot of time next time with the seducers and not have to hurry. So subscribe to this podcast if you don't mind. Give it a rating. If you've gotten this far, please write it a review in the Apple, Google, or other analytics where you are. It really helps me a great deal. I can't explain to you how much it helps me for you to do that. Write a review and come back next time because we got to check out these flatterers who are sunk in human muck in perhaps the grossest bits of comedy at least so far. I'm Mark Scarborough, and this is Walking with Dante.